Hey guys, welcome to Relatable. Happy Friday. I hope everyone has had an awesome week. I am so excited about next week. I think I said this on Wednesday and I'm saying it again. I'm so excited about next week. I'm so excited for Thanksgiving and all of the good food. I'm supposed to bring celery with pimento cheese in it. So that tells you how reliable my family sees me when it comes to food and making things. And it's true. I don't traditionally haven't really made anything uh, for holidays. I think it's partly being baby of the family. Baby of the family isn't given a whole lot of obligations. My husband and I are both babies of the family. And I just don't have a whole lot of experience in cooking that kind of stuff. I'm a decent cook. I'm an okay cook. I'm not fancy with it. I don't like following a recipe. I like things that are super straightforward, common sense, and easy. But my husband is actually a much better cook than I am. And typically, he's the one that cooks dinner for that reason. While I am taking care of the baby girl, he is cooking dinner and it's better off that way because like I said, he's better. So I'm bringing celery. Celery and pimento cheese. I will make probably the pimento cheese because my mother-in-law has an awesome recipe for it that I just love. And so I'll be doing that for Thanksgiving and I'm really excited. We've got some family coming in this weekend. Lots of kids going to be running around the house. So Really looking forward to that. I can't wait to hear what you guys are doing for Thanksgiving. Just FYI to tell you beforehand, uh, we are going to have a new episode on Monday and we'll have a new episode on Wednesday. And next Friday, we'll be doing uh, a replay of one of our most popular episodes. And so if you haven't heard every single episode, most of you have at least skipped a couple Um you might want to tune into that. But because I'll be kind of on vacation and taking a break, we won't be recording a new episode for that day. Uh, on Monday, we will be talking about a very controversial subject, but one that I think is really important, and that is anthropomorphism. What? What did I just say? It is this trend that I have seen, especially among millennials and Generation Z, the younger generation, of ascribing personhood to animals and our seeming over-obsession with animals and how we should be looking at that from a biblical perspective. It's going to be, it's going to be good, you guys. We're going to talk about veganism. We're going to talk about all that. So I know some of you animal lovers out there, you're really worried about this episode. Don't be worried. Don't be worried. You can always disagree with me, but I think that you will find the insight or the perspective that I bring to the table at least helpful as you are shaping your worldview on all of this as we go into God's word. Okay. Today, I know I said at the end of Wednesday's episode that we were going to do an interview. Change of plans. We're not doing an interview, obviously. Today, I'm going to answer some of your questions, and you guys sent me some really good questions, and so I'm going to answer a lot of the things that probably quite a few of you have been thinking about or considering. Uh, before we get into that, I do want to tell you guys about Bolster Sleep. I haven't talked to you about Bolster Sleep in a long time, uh, just I don't know. There's been other things that we've talked about, but I love Bolster Sleep. It's one of my favorite companies ever. My husband and I, we have Bolster Sleep pillows. We've got a Bolster Sleep mattress in our house that is used a lot. We love Bolster Sleep. Uh, really comfortable and uh, cool technology. So you don't have to like flip over on the other side of the pillow to get a cool side of the pillow at night because it stays cool all night, which is really important to me. And it keeps its form all night. They're not like, I used to have feather pillows and I would have to like fluff it up. Up, like every you know couple of hours when I'm sleeping at night, not bolster sleep, keeps its shape the whole time, feels really good on your neck, and you wake up feeling refreshed. 
And if you are exhausted every single day when you're waking up in the morning, there's probably something that needs to change when it comes to your sleep habits or what you're sleeping on. So you really don't have anything to lose just by going to bolstersleep.com and at least checking out what they have. I would not be talking about them if I didn't believe in their products and believe in what they do. So just go to bolstersleep.com, check out their mattresses, check out their pillows, see if there's something that you might want to try. My husband loves it. I love it. So you can go to bolstersleep.com. You can use my promo code. That's Allie, A-L-L-I-E, 15% off. 15% off. That's a really good discount. Use my promo code, Allie, A-L-L-I-E, bolstersleep.com for 15% off. Okay, now I am going to answer some of your questions. Okay, first question that I have is just right at the top of the list, and that is what has surprised you the most about having a child? I may have answered this question before, but I might have a new answer today that I didn't have a few weeks ago when I answered this, so I'll just answer it again. Um, I think it is how much, and I don't mean this in a negative way, so let me explain it but how much time a child that basically can't really move or can't crawl, can't walk yet, uh, takes, how much time they take, how much attention they take. It. I thought that, okay, I'm just gonna be able to kind of set her down, she'll play, and I will be able to, you know, work all day and it'll be easy. I'll be able to write my book when she's just sitting there. But it's just not like that. Now, that's not to say that she's crying all the time when I lay her down. She is very good at entertaining herself. And at this age, they're like discovering everything and she's rolling over and grabbing toys and all of that kind of stuff. So she can kind of entertain herself. But I can't explain it. If, if you're not a mom, it's hard to explain how even in those moments, they're still demanding some of your attention. And you really can't just kind of when you're with them, compartmentalize what's going on. And let me just say, that is the privilege and the honor of my life to be her mom. Like, I love spending time with her. I love that I get to work from home and I get to be with her and I get to see her all of the time. I just didn't know how difficult it would be to manage my time. I've had a lot of late nights since she's been born trying to finish my book and prepare for podcasts and, and different things like that, because that's really the only time when I can really dedicate to doing what I need to do. Now I do like have help during the day, like my mom helps, we get help a few hours a week. Uh, so I can, you know, record this podcast like I'm doing right now. Um, but there are still a lot of hours during the day when I just don't have, you know, dedicated time to write or something like that. And like I said, I love it. I love it. I love spending all my time with her. I'm just learning how to be more effective or trying to learn how to be more effective and more efficient in managing my time. And that has been surprising and a little difficult. Um, being a mom is still the best thing ever. I just, my husband and I all the time, and I know you parents feel like this too, we're like, does anyone else have as perfect of a child as we? I don't think so. Does everyone else love their kid as much as we do? And I know you guys do. I know you're thinking the same thing about your babies and all babies are precious and I love them, but I love my baby. She's amazing and we just love being parents. And I genuinely love, she doesn't sleep very much or she sleeps at night, but she doesn't sleep very much during the day. She's not, um, I don't want to say she's a bad napper. That to me sounds kind of mean. She's an efficient napper. So she naps like for 20 minutes. Unless you're holding her, then she'll nap for a long time, which is another reason I can't just put her down and go, you know, clean the kitchen or something like that. Um, 
But what was I going to say? What was I going to say with that? Oh, yeah. When she wakes up, I'm like so excited that she's awake and I get to go get her. I My favorite thing in the world. It happened this morning. She's crying. She's fussing. I went in to go get her from sleeping, uh, sleeping at night and she's, you know, ready to get out. She's grumpy. She's screaming. And then I go in there and I see her little face through the mesh on the side of the pack and play just light up and smile. And I'm like, this is the this is my this is the best part of the day. Um, so I love it. Surprising things every day, of course, because this is the first time that I'm a mom. But I just I love her and I love being in her presence, um, even if it does mean that I can't do anything else when I'm holding her. OK, next question. A little bit different. Should Christians colonize Mars? You know, there's a lot logistically that goes into that. I don't think that I am going to be the person to spearhead uh, that. But if there are some people that want to go before me and go before us and let us know how it goes, maybe kind of be the guinea pigs on that. I'm not I'm certainly not against it. I don't know. I don't know if there's any kind of biblical command that we shouldn't be colonizing Mars or that we can't colonize another planet. So if if that's the next frontier for Christians, sure, I'm, I'm open to it. That's all I'm saying. I'm open to it. Now, I don't even like flying to Oklahoma. So I can't imagine liking very much getting in a spaceship with my family and going to Mars. Like, I don't even know if I can make the trip there. But if y'all establish a nice nation, country, community there in Mars where we can just be free and enjoy being Christians, then I will consider it. Let me know, though, in like a few decades. Um, Topical Bible studies, are they dangerous to use exclusively? So exclusively, I would say so. I, I can't speak for all topical Bible studies, but here's kind of my rule of thumb when I am looking at a Bible study or when I'm looking at any study. Uh, who is the center of the study? Is it me? Is it the reader? Or is it Jesus? So any teaching, any sermon, any um, any topical Bible study that uses a story in the Bible as exclusively a metaphor for us rather than a way to point to Jesus, I would just have some questions about that. For example, I've used this example before. I'm certainly not the only person to use this example. I've heard other pastors use it. Uh, you might hear a pastor say uh, the story of David and Goliath. Uh, is a metaphor for us, that we are David, we're slaying our giants, and God is giving us uh, a stone and a slingshot, our equipment to be able to slay our giants. That is this supposed to be this inspirational biblical message, but that is not the message of David and Goliath. As we study, as we study the story of David and Goliath, we don't see ourselves as the hero. We see Jesus as the hero. Jesus is the true and better David who uh, defeated the real ultimate giant of sin and death forever on our behalf. And that is such a better and more God-glorifying way to look at that story than inserting ourselves into the biblical narrative where we don't belong. We are not the heroes of the Bible. We are not the stars of the show. We are not the leading role. Jesus is the hero of the Bible. He takes center stage in everything. So any topical Bible study or sermon that puts humans um, as the hero of the story or makes humans the the starring role of things 
then we need to question that. We need to say, okay, is this Bible study glorifying us? Is it about us? Is it about affirming our emotions, making us feel better, comforting us, making us feel like heroes, even just making us feel beautiful and talented and awesome? Or is this about our rightful place as worshipers of the God of the universe who through Christ reconciled us to himself an undeserving, unworthy people? So is it emphasizing the gospel? Or is it emphasizing the God of self? That I think those are the discerning questions that we need to ask ourselves when we're listening to anything, when we're listening to anyone talk about the Bible, not just topical Bible studies specifically, although, uh, of course, I would say that that applies to that. I, I will say that any pastor that is only preaching topically every Sunday, so who says, Today, we are going to talk about, I'll just use the David and Goliath thing again. Today, we are going to talk about slaying your giants. And here is the story of David and Goliath. If that is if that is what is happening, then I would say that's not an expository pastor. That's not an exegetical pastor, um, but that is an eisegetical pastor. That is a pastor who decides what he is going to say, make his point, and then he finds verses um, to back that up and decontextualizes verses that don't actually prove the point that he's trying to make, but he makes them prove the point that he's trying to make through his own subjective interpretation. That is not a pastor that you want to listen to. When it comes to the leader of your church, the person who is preaching on Sundays and really just the leadership in a church in general, you want someone who goes to the word of God and who says, okay, what does this mean? In context, cultural context, historical context, literary context, in context with the rest of the Bible, what does this mean? What does this say about God? What does this say about sin, salvation, and sanctification? And how does this apply to ourselves? Is there a a sin that we need to repent from? Is there an action that we need to do? Is there a way that we need to reorient our lives around whatever theme this particular passage is telling us? So these are the kind of questions that we need to ask ourselves when we're looking at a topical Bible study or when we're listening to any pastor. Again, the question is, who is really getting the glory here? Is it God as our Redeemer and Savior, or is it us? Is this casting God as a genie who grants our wishes when we say the right thing, when we pray the right prayer, when we have enough faith? Or is this viewing God as the all-sovereign, all-powerful King of the universe that he is? Um, Old news, but thoughts on Lauren Daigle. So I actually did probably over a year ago now, I would say almost a year and a half ago, I did um, a YouTube video on that. I think it has Lauren Daigle in the title. So you can just Google that and it will tell you my thoughts on it or the video will tell you my thoughts on it. What will it take to get you to come speak at Baylor? So I always, well, first of all, thank you. I would love to come speak, but I, I will say that there's, there's a process. So you just have to email me. I can give you the email. If you message me, I can give you the email of uh, the person who coordinates my speaking engagement, who will work out logistics and all that kind of stuff. But I get this kind of question a lot. Like, why won't you come speak here? Like, what does it take to have you come speak here? I'm like, well, have you asked me? And I'm not talking about you specifically who asked this question, but I get this. I get this a lot. So I have to actually be invited. Like I don't, I won't just show up at a, at a college and be like, who wants to hear me? Have to be invited. And then you just go through a process and I love going to speak. And so if I'm available and if everything works out, then of course I would love to come speak at Baylor and elsewhere. Um, how should one deal with manipulative people? 
Well, there's a lot of there's there's a lot of context that I would say is needed with a question like that because there are a variety of manipulative people. I would say the kind of manipulative people that I have experienced the most, and plus we're all guilty of being manipulative at some point, using deceit to get what you want, which I think is the definition of being manipulative. Um, but there might be more serially manipulative people in your life. Maybe it's a boss, maybe it's a coworker, maybe it's a friend, maybe it's a significant other. And if someone is continually using deceit to get what they want, so to, so they're buttering you up or they're flattering you or they're making you think that whatever option they want you to choose is the only option that you have when that's not really true, then you need to confront them about that. You need to speak the truth in love and you need to say, look, this is manipulation. This is how, this is how this is manipulation. And this is why I don't appreciate it. Here's the truth about the situation. Here's the truth about the options that I have. Here's how I feel. Here's how I think. And if if you want something or if you want to have a conversation about whatever it is you're trying to manipulate me to do, uh, then let's have a conversation. But it needs to be based in truth and based in morality and based in the best interest and having the best interest for the other person. Someone who is manipulating you is looking out for themselves and not for you. And if you are dating someone who is continually manipulative, I'm not talking about just one time, because like I said, we're probably all guilty of that, then you need to get out of that relationship. That's not a relationship that you need to be in because it's very easy to um, start allowing that person to ascribe you value, to ascribe you worth, to make you think that they are the only person that you could ever be with or ever be happy with, the only person that's ever going to love you. And that is not a relationship that you want to be in. There are also spiritually manipulative people who will decontextualize Bible verses or they will use quasi-biblical themes to make you think that what they want you to do is righteous when really it's just something that subjectively they want you to do. Um, and that's not right either. And we need to evaluate our own lives to make sure that we are not being that we are not being manipulative. I'm thinking about situations in which I've probably, I, I mean, actually, I, I'm not thinking about my own situations, but I'm thinking about situations in which people are made to feel guilty, uh, made to feel guilty for something that they shouldn't feel guilty for because the other person wants them to do something. I've been probably on both ends of that spectrum before, and that is wrong. Um, I think all you can do is speak the truth and speak it in love. And if it's a relationship, I don't mean to be all like, new agey, but if it truly is a toxic relationship where that person is lying to you, then you don't need to be in that. You don't need to be in that relationship anymore, whether it's platonic or romantic or whatever it is. If it's a family member, if it's a spouse, and that's a relationship obviously you can't get out of, then you just need to have a conversation about that. Um, and you need to, like I said, evaluate your own life as well. This reminds me though of one other topic, and that is um, passive aggressiveness. Gosh, that is something that we are definitely all guilty of. Um, that is something that I believe that Christians, especially Christian women, really need to confront in our own lives. That uh, passive aggressiveness, I believe, is a sin. Uh, I think that it is a form of lying and a form of manipulation. And it is also a way of self-protection and to promote self-interest because you are scared of feeling awkward. You're scared of hurting someone's feelings, not necessarily for their sake, because you're obviously telling them whatever it is you want to tell them in a roundabout way, but really for your sake. 
You don't want to be seen as mean. You don't want to be seen as confrontational. You don't want to be seen as aggressive or assertive. I'm talking specifically really about women here, but men are guilty of this too. And so you beat around the bush and what ends up happening is that everyone ends up getting way more hurt. Um, I've been passive aggressive. I've been the recipient of passive aggressiveness and it never helps a situation when there is like tension there that is that needs to just be talked out and needs to be cut through with truth, passive aggressiveness just builds and builds and builds until the person who is holding it in explodes or the other person who doesn't realize maybe why you're mad or why you have, you know, something against them. They just grow resentful. They grow cold. They grow unmotivated to talk to you about your concerns because all you're doing is putting up walls and pretending like everything is fine when everything's not fine. And so I think we as Christians, passive aggressiveness is a sin that we need to confront. If we mean something, we need to say what we mean and we need to mean what we say. That doesn't mean that we have to be rude. That doesn't mean that you have to be completely heartless about it. Of course not. I think that there's a way to have empathy. There is a way to phrase your confrontation or your concern in a way that is loving. And what I try to do and gosh, I'm such a failure at this so often. But what I try to do, it, I'll say this. I am better at confronting people and responding to people when I do this. When I say, okay, have I done something that is similar to what this person has done? Have I thought something that is similar to what this person has thought? Am I guilty of some of the same things? of that this person is doing that's making me mad or whatever. And if I were in their position, do I do I really think that that person is intentionally hurting me or intentionally trying to do something? Um, when we rashly jump to the conclusion that everyone is out to get us, and uh, th that typically ends in passive aggressiveness or resentment or bitterness, and that does not please God. So when I am trying to confront someone I try to th put myself in their position and to remember that I am in need of probably more grace than they are. And like I said, I fail at that probably every day, but things always work out better when I go that direction rather than just putting up my defensive uh, defenses and passive aggressiveness. What's a good personhood argument against Christians who are pro choice. So I, I'll i just direct you to uh, a podcast episode that I did on this rather than spending too much time here. But I have a podcast episode called Abortion Ain't Biblical, where I refute this argument of this person who actually tried to build the case that abortion was okay from a biblical perspective. Democratic candidate Pete Buttigieg is trying to do the same thing. It's totally inane. I mean, the mental gymnastics that you have to do, the moral hula hoops that you have to jump through in order to try to even come close to making a coherent argument, it just, it's it's insane. It's much easier to rest on the word of God uh, that says that God God knit us together in our mother's womb, that we were made in his image and he created life to start at the point of conception onward. Uh, what's your view on the death penalty from a biblical point of view? I actually just talked about this last week. Um, how often will you eat Chick-fil-A from now on? You know, I'm a little bitter. I'm a little bitter about Chick-fil-A still, so I don't know. I haven't eaten a Chick-fil-A since. But like I said, I, I'm not 
necessarily i'm not boycotting i'm not asking you guys to boycott i did get a message from someone speaking of chick-fil-a um who uh who actually works there and works i guess at chick-fil-a corporate who said that this really is not a political decision at all that it's being cast that way by the media but it's not and I believe that that person is being honest with me. I still have I still have questions, but I do want you to hear that side that people on the inside are saying this is not a political decision. It doesn't have to do with the backlash, that it really is just a restructuring of charitable giving. They really are trying to be more focused on particular organizations and charities and that it has nothing to do with everything the media is saying that it has to do with their misquoting or they're taking things out of context. And um, I think that if that is, you know, if that's the side that you land on, that's totally fine too. Like I said, I'm not calling for any kind of all out boycott on Chick-fil-A. It doesn't look good. It just doesn't, it doesn't look good. And it does seem like they kowtowed to the leftist opposition because it was hindering growth. But like I said, there are people on the inside who say that's just not the case. And maybe you take what I say with a grain of salt and you trust their authority uh, more than mine. Question, would you send your daughter to public school? No, no. Now, I've heard Christian arguments for it that it's better to be to be plugged in and to make a difference and to be involved, to know who's on your school board, to be involved and to speak up and have a say and all of that. So you are helping not just your child, but future children, the children around them. And I understand that. And I don't think that I would have said definitively five or 10 years ago, certainly that I wouldn't send my child to public school. This is not an elitist thing. It's not about education, although that is part of it. But it's not primarily about that. It's about values. It's about what is being indoctrinated into our children uh, nowadays. And I just, I, I don't know that I am willing to sacrifice my child's well-being in order to be involved in in, in public school. I, I just, I, I'm just not sure I can do that. I can still know who's on the school board and care about that stuff without my child uh, being in public school. I just don't want her to be subject to that. And of course, we're going to be the kind of parents that when she comes home, like she is going to know our values. She's going to know what we believe. She's going to know the word of God if we have anything to do with it. But how confusing and how exhausting for her that she is going to go to school and hear all day a worldview that is totally antithetical to what we teach and to have to be quiet about her views or to be bullied for her views or to be punished by teachers, maybe not directly, but indirectly for her views, and then to come home to be exhausted by all that and to hear something completely contradictory from her parents. No, I just, I, I don't want that for her. I don't want that for her. I don't know what that's going to look like in a few years, but as of right now, no, I don't think that we are going to be sending our children to public school. Socialism versus capitalism did an episode on that titled Socialism over the summer. Will you invite Kanye on your podcast? Yes, that's the reason I haven't had Kanye on my podcast yet because I haven't, had, I haven't invited him. He's been waiting for my <laughs> invitation. I'm just kidding. Um, I would love to have Kanye on my podcast. That would be awesome. I would ask him a lot of questions, like just genuinely, genuinely curious about his walk and his plans for the future and his family and all that stuff. Um, I, d I don't think somehow I don't think that that is a viable option for a guest anytime soon. He seems like he's a little busy, but one day 
Maybe so. You re- you never you never know. What I have learned is that I cannot predict the future. Could you touch? Oh, someone asked me, could you touch on why putting yourself in the Bible is wrong? I answered that a little bit earlier. What did you go to college for? Communication studies. Thoughts on long engagements. So I'm thinking, I'm I'm guessing that you're talking about marital engagements. So there are a variety of reasons why people might be engaged for a long time that are totally legitimate reasons. My personal preference, I mean, we were engaged for four months. That's not good for everyone. Some people need longer than that to plan a wedding, to figure out logistics, whatever's going on in their life just makes that impossible. I personally think in an ideal situation that mar- or that engagements should be six months or shorter. I think the shorter you can do, the better, especially if you are waiting uh, for marriage, it just gets harder and harder the closer you get to your wedding to not have sex if that's what you're trying not to do. Uh, So the longer of an engagement that you have, the more difficult that is. I think if you know that you're going to marry someone, uh, the quicker, the better. The shorter the engagement, the better. It's my personal opinion on that. The Bible doesn't, you know, specifically say how long your engagements have to be. But I would say if your priority is sexual purity, then you should just try to get married. As long as you know that, you know, that's the person that you want to marry. Is it wrong? This is an interesting question. Is it wrong to pray that the Lord steer a man's heart to like me or is that weird? Well, I know what you're saying and I understand that feeling so much. I'm not, I I can't say it's necessarily a sin to ask God to change someone's heart. I would, but what I would do is I would evaluate your own heart and I would ask yourself, why are you idolizing this person that you believe I'm, I'm guessing you believe is your source of happiness or your source of contentment and satisfaction. If this person does not want you and you find yourself fixated on them, then that is probably an issue that's going on in your own heart, not his heart, that you need to bring to the Lord. My recommendation would be to pray that God satisfies you with himself, that he gives you wisdom and discernment, that he gives you the strength to be able to prioritize him above anyone else, and that you would work. And this is hard. And I say this as someone who has been there. Like we've all been that person who has been in this situation of unrequited love where you want someone to like you or want you who doesn't. So I get it. Um, The best thing that you can do in that situation is to not fixate on them, to not obsess over them and to not wonder what they're doing, not constantly check their Instagram stories or see if they've looked at yours. I would I would recommend that you not do those things and that you focus not on what's going on in their heart, but what's going on in your heart. Why do you feel like this person is your source of happiness? Why do you feel like this por- person is the source of your satisfaction? And why are you spending all your time on someone who doesn't right now doesn't want you? If that person is the one for you, I promise a sovereign God is is not going to is not going to uh, change or waver based on whether or not you pray for that person's heart to be changed. God is in control. You can trust in that that He works all things together for the good of those who love Him. That does not mean that we get everything that we think that we want. That means that all things work together for His glory and our ultimate good. That is the privilege and the freedom that we have as Christians. What do you think about Christians doing yoga? So I really want to do a whole episode. This is my last question, by the way. I really want to do a whole episode on this because I'll be honest with you. It's not something I 
ever thought about. I never thought about whether or not it is biblical to do yoga. I mean, I I did yoga when I was pregnant. I never thought about it. And then I started getting messages and emails, comments, asking me why I think it's okay to do yoga. And so it's something that I've been thinking about, something that I've been reading about and studying. And I don't want to give away too much of my answer before I am finished looking through all this stuff. But gosh, there are so many things that I've been wrong on in the past. And so I am not afraid to say whenever this episode does come out, if this is the case that I was totally wrong on it, I understand the concerns because it's part of this new age phenomenon that's going on with crystals and healing and healing altars and basically self-worship. It's total idolatry. And yoga is part of this kind of Eastern mysticism thing. We talked about it a little bit when we talked about the Enneagram. The Enneagram is a a part of that as well. I did an episode titled Personality Test. You can go back and listen to that from a few weeks ago. And so I totally see how yoga is a, a part of that whole system. Now, it's a little bit difficult for me. It seems a little absurd to say that yoga is not okay but Pilates is okay. Because when it comes down to it, yes, you can say the whole thing about yoga, like the meditation and all of that is is wrong and something that Christians shouldn't do. Not that meditation in general or meditating on God's word, obviously, that's good. But all the stuff that comes with the healing magic power, the inner self, the chi, all of that that comes with yoga, I definitely see how that is this kind of weird mystical thing. But it's hard for me to see how just like the physical positions of doing yoga is any different than doing Pilates just because it's called yoga. Does that make sense? Like, doesn't it seem a little bit legalistic? And I'm not one to use that term very often because people apply legalistic to too many things. But doesn't it seem a little bit legalistic to say, okay, I can get in a lunge, but I can't call it warrior one? Seems a little weird. So like I said, I'm thinking through it. I want to come at this from uh, a biblical perspective that doesn't just attach, I'm not just trying to attach myself to what either side is saying. I'm really trying to be thoughtful about it, to be nuanced, if you will. That's another word that I hate. Anyway, that's all I have time for. Love you guys. Happy Friday. I hope that you have a wonderful weekend. I will be back here on Monday to talk about animals. (laughs) 